0: The reading today is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in Scripture I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews asks for signs. And Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were from the upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life what is considered to be nothing to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing so no human being can brag in god's presence it is because of god that you are in christ jesus he became wisdom from god to us this means that he made us righteous and holy and he delivered us this is consistent with what was written the one who brags should brag in the Lord. Here ends the reading. So, growing up as I did in the 80s and 90s in the US, one of my favorite uh, American television series was The Simpsons. And I have to say, I actually didn't watch very much of it. I mean, I watched a few, but I didn't watch very much of it until after I met my wife. My wife is a huge Simpsons fan, and so we started watching them again then. And uh, now they're on Disney+, and we can just watch them all sequentially, which is great. And The Simpsons is still on. It's, it's been on the air for 30 years now, more than 30 years. Uh, when it started, the, the, main, the main character is Homer Simpson, who's kind of your everyday American dad, is the idea kind of a not the smartest guy in the world to say the least and his wife and three children and when the show started i was the same age as the youngest child and now i'm the same age as homer (laughs) the main character so it's been a while but anyway one of the things i love about the simpsons is that they have this great view on religion especially christian religion in america especially suburban white middle class america and there's uh, this character Reverend Lovejoy, who is the um, the priest at the at the local Presbyterian church, um, which is great. And uh, there's also the the next door neighbor Ned Flanders, who's extremely de- extremely devout Presbyterian. Uh, and there's many great stories related to that. But the one that I want to talk about today, there was a, an episode where uh, in the 24th season called "Pulpit Friction." In case you're curious, where. A new minister comes in to replace Reverend Lovejoy because Reverend Lovejoy is too boring and people are tired of listening to him. So this new hip preacher comes in and talk about hip things and uh, he sits down for a beer with with Homer and uh, is convinced because Homer is the one who sleeps through church because Homer only goes to church because his wife makes him go. He's convinced that if he can get Homer to, to be part of the, uh, to be part of the church, that he'll win over everybody else. And so he makes Homer a deacon. And Homer is uh, practicing being a deacon in his room before church on Sunday. And his son, Bart, comes in, who is the troublemaker. And Bart says, you never liked the church. And Homer says, oh, it wasn't, the, you know, it's not the church I didn't like. It was just the people in the building. And the." And he goes on this list, and it's, it's quite funny. And uh, and Bart makes a, makes a funny comment about Homer and Homer begins to reach out and, and and uh grab Bart by the neck, which is something he does all the time. But uh he stops and he goes, Mustn't kill own son. Only God can do that. <laughs> and I love that that line. Mustn't kill own son, only God can do that. There's lots of great lines like that, the little one liners in The Simpsons. But this is a this is a concept that I've heard a lot of, right? Like people talk about Christianity, and uh, especially people who, who uh, are cynical or, or doubt or don't understand Christianity, or come from other faiths, um, or have been hurt by Christianity in the in their past, because they they will uh, often point to this. They're like, why you know, why does God kill God's own son? What's what's that about? Uh, and there are lots of Uh, Memes about this too So actually I've got one here That that I I found I really liked Uh, It's a picture of Kronk From The Emperor's New Groove By the way an awesome movie And uh, The text says God when he sacrifices himself To himself To save mankind From himself And Kronk is saying Oh yeah It's all coming together And sometimes this is how I feel About this This idea of Of uh of God sending Jesus to save us from God, uh, and this is a an idea that uh, seems really strange, seems really foolish, and I'm going to dig into it a little bit more here. But first, I want to I want to take a take a quick second and look back at the text, and it's specifically just a couple lines out of this text, because this is a long bit of of a text, and again, this is one of Paul's letters. We talked about Paul previously, but Paul was a convert. Uh, he had been persecuting the Christians and then he became converted to Christianity and became an apostle. Uh, and he is writing mostly to non-Jewish uh, churches, but some of his churches are mixed, a mix of, of Jews and uh, and non-Jews. And in this case, the church in Corinth is one of these. And he's writing to them and explaining that they should get over their their arguments with one another. And so he's talking about the the and about Jesus crucified and he says this the the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved the message of the cross is foolishness and then later he says Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Again, Greeks and Gentiles here are the same peoples. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I think this this little bit, this is the takeaway from this passage. And his point, you, know, you have to understand, you know, when he's when he mentions the Jews and the Greeks and the Gentiles, he's, he's not being derogatory in any way here. He's he's just talking about different groups within his own church in Corinth. So the church in Corinth was com, was composed partially of uh, Jews who had converted to Christianity um, and partially with, uh, with Greeks or Romans or non-Jews. Uh, Greeks just meant non, non-Jews, non-Romans, I think, uh, but not barbarians. It gets a little confusing, but... In any case, the point is non-Jews who had converted, who had joined the, the Christian movement. So he has these two different groups, and they, and they come from very different backgrounds, and they argue over a lot of things. And his point is that the Jews in the congregation ask for signs. So traditionally, uh, in the Jewish uh, tradition, they would expect prophets of God to perform miraculous wonders. So they want to see signs and and. They want to see miraculous things happen to prove something. And the Greeks, on the other hand, were interested in wisdom, philosophy. They, they, wanted, they want a really well-thought-out answer. They want uh, you know, to argue the point and to have a, a good argument for things. And then Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified which is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So Christ, Christos, is the, means the anointed one. The, the word in uh, the Jewish tradition was often Messiah. And the Messiah was supposed to be a, a figure, uh, a, a king figure, a, a political and military leader who would come in and, and provide for the Jewish people both political and military um, success, and would would free them from their oppression, because at this point in history, the the Jewish people are being um, their homeland is, is being controlled by the Roman Empire. They're being you know they're, they're they have this outside force occupying their their lands, and so the Messiah is supposed to come and free them from that by by building an army and fighting a war and 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 sending the romans away and instead the christians are saying that the messiah has come and has been murdered on on a cross by the romans themselves and by the religious um, establishment and so to the jews that would be scandal i mean the that's scandalous why the messiah can't can't have been killed by the romans the messiah is supposed to take us to victory and to the Gentiles, it would be foolishness because the the person who 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 is um, executed on a cross, the the cross was a method of execution reserved for for slaves and for um, political prisoners, for people who who were trying, who were insurrectionists, who were trying to fight the government, fight the Roman government. And um, you know, Jesus, when he was crucified, the sign they put above him said, "King of the Jews." That thing that he was being tried for was for saying that he was the king of the Jews, for, for taking on a political leadership position, trying to say that he was above the Roman, um, the Roman Empire. Um, and whether he actually said this or not is a different story. There's, that's something we'll get into later. But the point is, that's what he was being crucified for. So to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, they would say, well, you know, he lost, like he, he was killed. Um, he can't possibly be uh, the, the chosen one of God. And so that's what Paul is saying here: that this, the idea of the cross is foolishness. the The idea of this, it someone once kind of uh, compared it to. Uh, when you think about Christians wearing a cross around you, we kind of, we kind of gloss over it now because it's been part of our tradition for so long. But in the early days, wearing a cross was. All by itself, scandalous. Because it would, be, it would be like somebody wearing, you know, an electric chair, or a lynching tree. Um, you know, a, a noose, because it was a humiliating way to be killed. It was painful. Uh, it took a long time because the person, the 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 person who was crucified. Usually died of asphyxiation. In other words, they 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 couldn't breathe. They couldn't breathe, and so they they died um, because they couldn't breathe because the body was pulling down on them and, and messing with their organs. It was a horrible way to die. It was it was humiliating. Um, it was not something that you would want people to know about, and yet they would put you out publicly so that other people could see so that you could be a, a message to others. You know, Jesus was a message to others to not follow in his footsteps. So it's scandalous. The cross is scandalous. And that's kind of the the heart of Paul's message. So how do we... About the cross, though, in the universalist perspective. How do we think about this as Christian universalists? I want to talk for a minute about kind of the most important thing about the cross, because it, as I mentioned it was scandalous, it was a thing. Why why did people why was it so important to the early church and to our aid of the church now as well? But I think that the big question of the cross, of the crucifixion, is the most important question, and and it gets back to what the the uh, meme I showed earlier about, you know, God sending Himself to die, to save us from Himself, is that why did Jesus have to die? Why why was that important? And there's a whole uh, this is obviously I mean Paul's talking about this in in the first century, so this is something that has been discussed in Christian Uh, communities since the very beginning and it's been talked about over and over and people over the years have come to different conclusions as as more and more thought has been put into it and so i just want to kind of give an overview of those to give you some background Um, so generally speaking when we talk about why did jesus have to die in a kind of academic theological perspective We talk about atonement, and atonement uh, just means literally what it says, at one-ment. It's talking about how does God reconcile humanity back to God? How is humanity reconciled back to God? And this is tied up in Christianity with why did Christ die? What was the purpose of Christ's death? And the kind of earliest version of this, well, One of the earliest versions of this is what's called ransom atonement. So in ransom atonement, Christ's death is a ransom that is paid to Satan and the powers of evil. So in the early church, let's say 2nd century, 3rd century, that time period, early Middle Ages, um, people tended to think that the devil had some kind of control over human souls because of the sin of Adam, that Adam had sinned against God and that that had given the devil control over over Adam. And so God had to had to pay the devil off to save us from, from sin and death. And that Christ's death is a, is a ransom payment paid to the devil. Now, there's, in my opinion, there's lots of problems with this theory. The most important being that I don't think that God uh, is subject to the will of the devil. Actually, I don't. I don't think the devil is a, is an actual being. Uh, first of all, I just need to be clear about that. But conceptually, you know, um, I don't think that God, God, if God is all powerful. Then God is not can do whatever God wants. Um, so that's the the problem with that. And other people had the same kind of problem with it. And so in the early Middle Ages, around the eleventh century, this guy named Anselm of Canterbury in, uh, in Britain, came up with this idea that uh, was called satisfaction theory. And this had this had everything to do with um the way that feudalistic society worked, in the way that there were lords and kings and things. And Anselm saw God as kind of like the ultimate king. And so God had honor, kingly honor, but because God is is infinite and beyond all of our comprehension, God's honor is, is also infinite and beyond the comprehension. And the sin of Adam had been an insult to God's honor. And because Adam had had insulted God's honor, God needed to have um, a satisfaction for God's honor. And because God is infinite, um, uh, only God could satisfy that because, uh, human beings could never pr- produce enough, enough of a satisfaction. To, you know, it just goes in this loop. It, it's very much kind of turns on itself and, and, you know, it gets into these things. If you'll make fun about medieval, um, philosophy they say things like well how many angels can fit on the head of a pen and things like this it was this kind of like argument for argument's sake in my opinion and it was followed up by thomas aquinas in the 13th century uh who kind of refined these ideas and this is still the theory of atonement um, that is officially canon in like the roman catholic church for example uh and opposition to this was put out by someone named peter abelard in the 12th century called moral influence atonement this is the idea that christ's death uh, just acted as um, an example, perfect example of what it means to be obedient to God. And that it's our, it's it, the fact that we learn about this example changes us. And so that we, so that we can be saved, but that there was no actual like atonement or uh, no actual um, ransom or satisfaction or anything. It's it's the, it's the moral example that's, that's important. Then in um, it, during the reformation, uh, the reformers didn't like this idea of God's honor because of the same reason I said they thought they thought that well God is all powerful, you know God could forgive can forgive us, so they uh, they came up with this idea of penal substitution, uh, especially this is especially uh, in the reformed tradition, Presbyterianism and um, Reformed Church, uh, the writings of John Calvin. Penal substitution says that Jesus is punished in our place. So that, there's a, that our sins, the sins of humankind, demand justice. And so Jesus is punished on the cross to pay for the, the, the justice, for God's justice. So God demands justice. Jesus provides justice in our place instead of us. And so we are saved. But because this happened once and in the past, Calvin figured that, well, jesus must have only provided justice for a for a fixed set of people and therefore there are some people who are saved and some people aren't saved that's how we get in that's why one of the things is universalists we disagree with penal substitution is still the official uh stance of a lot of the reformed churches uh there's an idea of incarnational atonement which is just the fact that god entered into humanity at all uh, causes humanity to become one with god and therefore we are all saved uh, then there's this idea called Christus Victor, uh, Victor which uh, actually was was kind of laid out in the 1930s, but was the the person who proposed it, a guy named Ao Lin. Um, he uh, he figured he he tried to prove that this was actually the belief of the earliest Christians. The earliest Christians believed this too, that that what Christ's death really shows is that Christ's death. Overthrows the power of the law over salvation because Christ was sinless and was um, was killed as a sacrifice according to the law, and therefore overturns the law. And the law, no, the, the you know the law with a capital L, the the law of God no longer holds any power over whether or not we can be saved, um, and it represents kind of the the, lib- the liberation of humanity from from the bondage of sin and of death and of the devil. And it shows that Christ is victorious over the powers of the world. So that's kind of the general thing. And is Victor has been really popular uh, recently, both with kind of very fundamental evangelical churches and with really progressive um, liberal churches, uh, which is really interesting. Um, but it's, it's kind of gained a lot of popularity in the last um, few decades. So. With all of that, now let's come back to the the question I had: How do we understand this as, as Christian universalists? Um, how should we understand Christ's death, and how do we deal with it? You know, if if I think of myself as a wretched sinner, as Calvin did, Calvin, or uh, um, as Luther Luther did. Um, you know, if I think of myself as a wretched sinner, then. Hearing that Christ died to take my place, to take away those sins, and he died for me, and therefore I am saved and will not have to be judged for my sins. That That's really meaningful, right? Because it frees me. It frees me from having to worry about the the um, the justice that I incur from the things that I've done wrong, from my sins. And again, sins here just to be clear, sins is talking about turning away from God. These aren't like horrible, you know, not necessarily all horrible things. It's just this is a you know a slip up when you mess up, when you turn away from God. Now, many progressive churches recently have kind of shied away from this interpretation because of the implic the implications it makes about the nature of God, and this is where we get back to that meme, right? This is where we get back to you know god sent himself to die to save us from himself right there all of these various methods of, of atonement that have to do with substitution whether it's penal or, or not that have to have to do with with um, satisfaction with ransoming they, they all kind of give this idea that god is not all powerful because because either god was um required to pay a ransom to to another being or god had, god's ego was so big that it had to be appeased before we could be saved or it means that uh that that god had such had created such a strict system of rules that even god could not break the system but had to send a uh had to send a perfect sacrifice so that the system could be, could be um, upheld. Right. All of these things are, are kind of, kind of give us an idea about God, create a, create a type of God that we don't really feel good about. So <laughs> we don't feel good about worshiping. And, and really, I think they're, those are all wrong. I, I don't, I don't agree with any of those. I think that, that, Christus Victor, the idea that Christ's death overthrows the power of the law and that it represents the liberation of humanity from bondage, uh, from sin, from death, I think that's probably the, the best way to think about it. And I think that that's, in a lot of ways, what the original Christians, the other Christians thought as well. And I think we hear that echoed in Paul. Paul talks about the fact that preaching... About Christ crucified is foolishness. It's this idea that that the the powers that be, the the government and the religious leaders of the day and an angry mob, got together and tried to get rid of this guy because he was preaching love and tolerance, and he was preaching the release of the captive, and you know the the the. Um, uh, release of the oppressed, and you know the feeding of the of the hungry, and the healing of the sick. He was preaching this this alternate idea of how we could be together in community, and he was making the establishment angry, and the establishment came for him. The religious establishment, with the support of the government, right of the Roman authorities, arrested him and put him to death, in the most humiliating and painful way they could think of as a as a, a message to his followers that they better fly right and and get with the program and the method of execution on on the cross is one that was designed for people who were were, were um, revolting against the government I mean, so you know the, his, the thing he was he was condemned of was saying he was the king of the Jews I mean this is a, it's a very uh, political thing that, that he was doing. He was preaching this other, this other way of being in community. And the fact that all that happened and that the, the, the government, the, the Roman government and the religious authorities of the day tried to suppress his message and tried to suppress his followers through fear of bodily harm and death and it didn't work. That, that that the thing they tried to do did not come to pass because his of of his resurrection, and whether the resurrection actually happened was whether he was whether Jesus was really resurrected in in a body, whether the resurrection has is some sort of spiritual um, resurrection, whether the resurrection is just an idea that people had and they remembered him afterwards and they and they went to build community and they remembered his words and he was resurrected kind of in their hearts and in their minds whatever the truth of that is doesn't matter the point to to this argument the point is that the that the community continued despite the efforts to stop it and that is the good news of the cross that is the good news of the cross and that is what paul says it is that it preaching Christ crucified is foolishness. And so why did Christ die? I don't think that Christ's death on the cross was required for our salvation. And I know that that's, a lot of people will be upset with me <laughs> for saying that probably, but, but I don't think it was required. I do however, think it was inevitable because any time you have someone coming in and preaching this kind of um, this kind of change to a system that is so entrenched that is so powerful it's inevitable that there will be backlash and i'm sure that jesus knew that he would be killed i mean he, he the 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 gospels mentioned it he talks about it all the time in the gospels that he's going to be killed he's going to be killed and on the third day, he'll be raised, and that he has to do this, and that it's part of his, part of his destiny. And so, I'm sure that it was part of the plan. I'm not saying that it wasn't, that it, that it was unexpected or or a surprise or anything, but I don't think Christ's death really has anything to do with our salvation. I think God can save us, can reconcile us to God, all on His own. I don't think he, he required Christ to die to do that. I don't think He required Jesus to die. But Jesus's death was inevitable because of what Jesus was doing, because of what Jesus was preaching, because of what he was, what he was asking of his followers. It was inevitable that the powers that be would arrest and kill him, and they did. And I think that that is the importance of the cross and the crucifixion, and that's the thing we should we should not shy away from, regardless of where you stand, uh, from progressive or. or on, on the one end, perhaps, and fundamental on the other end, perhaps, wherever you stand in there, does, uh, that doesn't really matter. You should, I th- I think you should embrace the blood of Jesus, and the reason why is because it was blood shed for you, and that is in that I really mean that not not shed to forgive your sins, but shed because of the sins of humanity, the sins of of greed and pride, the sins the sins of. Uh, all of the the people of the world, that the things that we that we as a, as humankind have, jealousy, greed, oppression, hate, you know, pride, overzealousness, a religious fervor. Jesus paid for all of these things with his blood, because there was no other way to begin to create the kingdom of God on earth, and that's what we should we should hold on, hold on to it's scandalous it's scandalous for us to have the cross but it's so important for us to remember why we do it so as you go out this week into the world remember that jesus was fighting against a world filled with all those sins and that he paid for that with his blood but in doing so he showed us that god's kingdom can triumph over the sins of the world as long as there are people willing to continue in Jesus' work.